Hello and welcome, everybody. Um, you're managing to uh, um, not be on the slip and slide, which is good in here, and distracted by all the other things that are going on. So if anybody that doesn't know me, my name is Chris Leach. I'm one of the pastors in Emmanuel Portadown, and um, I'm involved in coordinating a lot of our kind of outward-focused and compassion things uh, that happen there. And I am just introducing this um, seminar today. I'm happy to participate in any question and answer too. Um, but it's great to have Chris Thompson, um, who is Church Partnerships Manager and actually um, has been landed with the job of trying to figure out to look after the whole tier fund in Northern Ireland, at least uh, for a while, Interim Director as well. And then Jade Farmer, who is the Youth Worker Coordinator for Tier Fund as well. And they're going to be talking to us about... Um, really how the church can play a central role in, in global development in, in terms of what that looks like as the church as an entity um, bringing uh, Jesus and the kingdom. Um, but I think as well for us that we, we can think globally, but we can also think locally. What does that sort of stuff look like? How can we learn from maybe some of the best practice that we see around the world when it comes to actually thinking about our own communities? And as we all know, there's an increasing amount of need in our own communities our government has less and less answers and solutions to the problems that our communities face. Um, and either we can get really worried about that or we can think, what an amazing opportunity and what does Jesus want to do in our communities and how can we as Christians and as the church be part of bringing the kingdom of God to the communities that we are in, as well as thinking about the communities all around the world and how we can be part of God's greater plan to bring his kingdom on this earth as it is in heaven. So let me pray for Chris and for Jade, and then I'll pass you on. Yes, Lord, we, we thank you for uh, the work of Tear Fund. We thank you for the work of Tear Fund throughout uh, decades uh, and multiple generations. Lord, we thank you that there are people who are trying to figure out what it looks like to see your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, to take the Great Commission and continue to fulfill it in all of its different ways. And we thank you for the wonderful, beautiful, and fragile thing that the church is, and I pray that we would understand our participation in it as being the hands and feet of Jesus and a witness to the world of your goodness. And particularly at this time, Lord, may our imaginations be stirred to think about solutions that come directly from heaven through the power of the Holy Spirit to bring life to broken, vulnerable, and hurting people across this world. Amen. Amen. Right. Thanks so much, Chris. Really appreciate your welcome. Uh, great to see you. As Chris said, my name is also Chris, uh, and it's a real pleasure to be here. Uh, I live in Waringstown. I belong to Waringstown Presbyterian Church, and uh, it's a real privilege of my role uh, with Tier Fund to be present in places like this. I spent all day yesterday at the General Assembly of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland, uh, and today I'm at New York, so I feel like I've got this wonderful breadth of the whole of uh, the church uh, across the island, maybe. Um, so thank you so much for inviting me, uh, Chris and others, and thank you for being here. It's sunny. I don't know what's brought you in, maybe just the coolness of the tent for, for an hour's break, uh, or you weren't interested in the slip and slide, but um, thank you for being here. Can I just like get you to shout out maybe what church you're from, so I get a sense of who's in the room? Don't be shy. There'll be more shouting out, so get warmed up by saying the name of your church. That's an easy one. We've already had a Emmanuel Lurgan, great. Lisburn Elam we had earlier. We've got a central... Belfast, another central, great. Trinity Dublin, great. Manuel Lurgan, anybody that hasn't been mentioned? CFC Hollywood, brilliant. 
Brilliant. Super. This, this session has been titled Compassion and Justice. We're going to touch on those themes because ultimately what we're talking about is, is justice locally and globally. But what we're really going to center on is the role of the church. Different believes church is at the forefront of, I guess, that river of justice that we read about in Amos, uh, flowing out and bring with it, bringing with it righteousness. Different believes the church is God's chosen vessel for transformation, and we want to explore what that means. I hope you leave this seminar, um, I guess, educated a little bit about Tear Fund, if that's not a thing that you're familiar with, uh, educated a little bit about the work of the church globally, uh, but inspired too that you are part of that as a member of the church in this land, but also inspired what might that learning, what might that expertise, what might that heart of the global church mean for us here, both as individuals and uh, representing churches um, as we seek to to bring the kingdom to bear in this land, just as we seek and pray it into other places in the world. Um, so that's where we're going. Put your hand up if you are familiar with the work at Tear Fund. Okay, most people in the room. Um, I wonder could I ask you to describe what Tear Fund's all about? What do you think Tear Fund does or is? This is just me doing a bit of like market research for my own interest. You're looking at me, so I'm going to just point at Jen. Yeah. Okay, wonderful. So you get a Bible. <laughs> what? Give me one or a sentence, or you know, a few words about what Tearfund's all about. Yes. Great. Yep. Brilliant. Supporting justice causes was what was said there. Anybody else? Brilliant. So helping people out of poverty, uh, to help themselves out of poverty. Brilliant. Uh, super. I'm not embarrassed anybody else. So Tear Fund is a Christian international development charity. I'm going to talk to you now because you were the one in the room that, that didn't know uh, so much. Uh, we partner with churches in more than 50 of the world's poorest countries. Uh, our mission is to follow Jesus where the need is greatest. And it's not, it's not to say there's no need in, in Portadown or in Lisburn or in Hollywood or in Dublin. Uh, but our sense of calling in the Lord's place in our lives and for us as an organization is to follow Jesus where the need is greatest globally. And so that brings us to, uh, to 50 or so of the world's um, poorest and most unstable places. Uh, our work is focused in three main areas. This is what gets us up in the morning. But what we're best known for is the second one, responding to disasters. So what you probably know Tear Fund for, uh, what maybe you get an email or a letter or you see it on, on news or the front of your church is in response to emergencies. So most recently, Turkey and Syria earthquake appeal. Maybe you gave to that. Maybe your church gave that. Thank you for that. Uh, but if you go further back, flooding in Pakistan, uh, war in Ukraine, famine in East Africa, um, volcanoes in DRC, tsunamis, you name it. So Tear Fund uh, responds in that context. Through the church, almost always, we're there before, through the church, we're there before the emergency happens. And we're there long after it has faded from our consciousness and the next thing has come along. We want to advocate for change because we believe that uh, there are systems and structures which uh, push people into poverty and keep them in poverty and make it very, very hard for families and communities to sustainably escape. And so we have a whole group of people who, who campaign and advocate for change. For example, saying to the government, you really shouldn't reduce the amount of aid that you commit to as a nation because that not only harms people in poverty, but it's actually short-sighted uh, for us as a nation. But our, our bread and butter is this long-term 
sustainable development, seeing people lift themselves out of poverty, families, communities, generations in a way that lasts, in a way that is holistic and changes not just somebody's physical reality, but their whole life uh, and, and their whole community. I wonder, can I ask you this question? And I am going to make you, make you answer. What is poverty? There isn't really a right answer to this, so don't be shy. Shortages of supplies. Great. Not being able to access what you need. Brilliant. What, what, what kind, kind of needs? Brilliant. Yeah, so basics, food and water, shelter, but also another step, education, healthcare, even social and community, things like that. Wonderful. Pardon? No hope. Wonderful. Brilliant. Chris, how would you define that, answer that question? In only one sentence, because Chris might give us five. Wonder. So the inability to participate fully in, in the place that you are in, and that means it's different, uh, relatively different in relative different places. Wonderful. So we've touched on this. Tier Fund understands that poverty is not just a physical reality. That's where our mind goes first, isn't it? A, a shortage of things, a, a lack of basic needs being met, food, water, uh, shelter. Um, and of course, that is absolutely a key element of what it means to live in poverty. But if you were to ask somebody who is experiencing poverty, whether that's here in Northern Ireland or elsewhere, they will mention those things, but they're also more likely to mention or to dwell on the, the other things that poverty does to a person. So they'll mention the, the shame that it brings to, to not be able to provide for your children. They'll talk about the, the emotional impact of being dependent on others. They'll talk about the guilt of uh, not having enough uh, for tomorrow or for today. They talk about the social impact, the isolation that poverty can bring, the, um, the imprisonment that, that, that they can feel to be trapped in a cycle of poverty. They might even talk about the spiritual impact. What might I ask as somebody who, who does not live in poverty, but I, I wonder, what would it do to your understanding of a generous provider of God to live in, in real grinding poverty with no hope of change? I wonder how that shapes our understanding of the God that we know and understand from Scripture. We talk of things like spiritual poverty. We use language like that, don't we? we? I think in Northern Ireland, we experience relational poverty, a deprivation of relationships. Um, you might say somebody has a poverty of imagination. So we use that, use poverty in lots of terms, and it's broader than just, just a lack of things, although clearly that is the base of it, a lack of the basic physical needs. Tierfond believes that poverty is not God's plan, it seems obvious to send a place like this that we know God is good, don't we? We know, yes, God's good. We know from Scripture that he made a good world where things were in harmony. So therefore, God did not make poverty, nor did he make mankind, men and women, to thrive in poverty. And so poverty, therefore, if not made by God, is the result of, of sin or of the brokenness that exists in our world. 
And Tearful in particular understand that there are four relationships that have been broken that lie beneath the surface of uh, what you would describe as poverty. In fact, lie behind much that's wrong in the world. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is because I find this really helpful. It actually fuels my prayers when I see things around the world and I get fatigued by, by what's on our news or what I see in my own community. How do you pray for war in Ukraine? How do you pray for um, long-term famine in East Africa? How do you pray for um, sectarianism here in this land? Um, and these things help me. And they also will help uh, equip us for a better response that's, that's um, more effective. So the first broken relationship is that we have a broken relationship with God. We know this as Christians. We go back to Genesis chapter 3, the decision of Adam and Eve to eat from that tree in defiance of God's good command. And so this one fact, our rebellion from God, my rebellion from God has shaped our whole world. It's shaped our culture, our economics, our, our art, our sport, our media, uh, what we read, what we watch, what we play. Everything is shaped by this one truth in my life. I have a broken relationship with God. And obviously, as Christians, we can just take a little aside to celebrate Christ and say, thank you, Christ, that I've been restored and redeemed in my relationship with God. And we, we thank you for grace. We thank you for the cross. But this one fact underpins all that we see wrong with the world. We have a broken relationship with God. We have a broken relationship with ourselves. So we, we, uh, we experience shame. We experience discontent with who we are. We're envious of our neighbor. We, uh, we want what they have. We don't understand or hold rightly to our identity in God. And we know, don't we, that men and women are made in the image of God. We have this dignity and worth. And poverty shatters that dignity. As I said, poverty mars our understanding of who God is and our understanding of who we are. And if you're going to lift somebody out of poverty or see them lifted out, unless we address this, unless we address the shame and the, the way in which people view themselves, then nothing, that will, nothing will be sustainable or last. So we have a broken relationship, a broken understanding of who we are. We have a broken relationship with others. We're in conflict with one another. Very simply, we know this because we have to work quite hard to love our neighbor. We have to work quite hard to look beyond ourselves. I'm number one in my life. It takes real intentionality and the spirit working in my life to care about others. Uh, but of course, in Northern Ireland, we know what happens when those relationships deteriorate. And we see that right across the world, both in places like Ukraine that dominate our news, but also just long-term hidden conflicts at a community level, at a family level, at a national level. And maybe in your own life, you know what that's like to have a broken relationship with someone and the impact that makes on you. And then lastly, we have a broken relationship with creation. We're damaging God's world. Scripture says God gave mankind dominion over creation to rule or to reign. That word dominion in English is unhelpful sometimes, but the Hebrew word is rada, which conveys a much more um, holistic sense of responsibility for the world, uh, like a stewarding, the sense of like a good king that looks after his kingdom in a, in a good way, and therefore the people who live in his kingdom too. And I think on any basic measure, we've probably failed. I think we would agree we've failed in this last one. Maybe we don't quite understand how or why, and we don't have all the answers about what to do about it, but there's a sense that, um, that we failed in that one. And Tear Fund understands that our relationship with creation that's broken hurts those in poverty the most. And so we, this is how we view poverty. Poverty is not just a thing. It's a symptom of fallenness and of brokenness. And the reason I, I say this again is because this helps me pray. When I pray for Russia and Ukraine, I pray for Putin's broken relationship with God because that surely has shaped his life 
uh, and maybe has broken relationship with others. Uh, and we pray for things in my own life. I, this helps me to pray for the, what is happening beneath the surface. And so all of our work always seeks to, by the power and equipment of the Holy Spirit, to mend these broken relationships, because that's what God's called us to, uh, to join him in the restoration and renewal of all things. And that it will look like that. It will look like a healing of relationships, particularly these four. Jade is going to help us uh, with something a little bit more interactive to get us moving before we move on. Hello. Thank you so much, Chris. Um, so you're going to hear us talk a little bit today about, obviously, Tear Fund's work. Um, and you've heard Chris already say it. Or work through the church to empower communities to lift themselves out of poverty. And so we do equipping and training to really help communities to see their God-given potential, their God-given gifts, and the resources that God has given them to lift whole communities out of poverty and bring lasting change, sustainable change, and generational change. Um, and with the church at the very center of that. Isn't that what we want? And isn't that what the Bible really teaches us? That the church should be at the center of this transformational change. And to kind of help us understand how we do that, we're going to stay in the book of Genesis. So Chris has been talking about those four broken relationships, those relationships that we seen break um, when sin entered the picture and when sin entered the world. But I want us to go a little bit further um, pre-sin and I want us to try and picture what the world would have been like, what creation would have been like, what would it have been like to live in this world pre-sin. Can you just think about that for a minute? Think about what Adam and Eve had and experienced. Like I was, I'm parked just in the first car park over there um, and as I parked I looked to my left and I seen the Mourn Mountains and I thought wow, like literally right there it's so beautiful. And we have this glimpse of this beautiful world that God has created. But can you imagine how much more beautiful it would have been pre-sin when everything and everyone lived in harmony together? It would have been incredible. How did God describe his creation? He said, how did God describe creation when he created the world? What did he say? It is good. It is good. And then he creates mankind and is very good. Mankind, we are and as Chris has mentioned, he gave us dominion over the world. He created us in his likeness and in his image. He created us to um for himself. He created us to be in relationship with him. And they walk through the garden in the midst of the day, they experienced this wholeness. Any good thing. And I know we, we, we say that sound for ourselves. I lack nothing in God. Adam and Eve lived in, in the trueness of that form, complete wholeness, lacking nothing, nothing, nothing. They lived in a time and experienced We hear that word, we think of peace. And shalom in its truest form means wholeness, completeness. That's what Adam and Eve experienced. God gave them everything. It was theirs. Everything in the garden was at their disposal. Nothing that they needed. But 
one thing that God said that was not theirs for the taking. And we know this story, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything you can have, absolutely everything you can have except this tree, except this fruit. Um, sometimes we read the story and we're thinking, Adam and Eve were a nightmare, weren't they? <laughs> we're like, only, but actually it really does show us this humanity that's in each one of us, really. If it had been me or you in the garden, sooner or later, we would have done the exact same thing. And before they reached for that fruit, we know how the story went, obviously. They have the fruit, sin entered the world. But before they even reached for it, something happened. They had a mindset change. from a place of gratitude and thankfulness, from a place of, God, look what you have given me. Look what is in my hand. I lack nothing in my life to a place of, what if I had that? What if I just had that? And obviously we know the enemy helped with that and so in those doubt and fear. Did God really say their mindset shifted and we know how that obviously impacted the course of the story I want us to do something fun for a little bit not that this isn't really fun obviously um but we're going to do a bit of a treasure hunt okay so before you all came in I hid treasure um all around this room and so I want everyone if you can participate to get up and I want you the treasure hidden in this room and it is yours to keep so yes you can eat it you can share it and if it was me doing it like I'm in it to win it so you know you want to go out there and get as much treasure as you can so it's all across this tent so let's go let's see how much we can get there might be a prize for the winner There is still some good sweets to be found. I'll give you one more minute. There's one over here. I can see one on that extension lead. There's some, oh, and there's some up high on the. <laughs> All right, guys, you can, you can have a seat. I know, I know, I do try. I'm very competitive. That's what I was going for. So, let me see, hold up your prize, hold up your treasure. Did everyone get some treasure? Did anyone not? 
Okay. Oh, look at that. So I was actually just about to say, have, did we notice any dynamics during this? What did you notice about this treasure hunt? I know it's a silly little exercise, but was there some people that found it really, really easy? Hands up if you've got loads and loads of chocolate. <laughs> You're like, me, I'm good at it, I'm good at it. Chris, you did quite well. And then there were some people who maybe were struggling to find things around the room. And I love that concept of you just turning around and sharing with, because I actually feel like we can learn a lot from this little activity. And interestingly, the, the, the work that we're talking about, that training and equipping that we do in, in the poorest countries all over this globe, this is an activity that we start with, okay? This very activity, hiding treasure around the room and people find it. This is how we start our community transformation, which Chris is going to be talking about in a little more detail. Can anyone think why? we would do this activity at the beginning of our equipping and training in those communities. Don't be shy, because I will pick on people. It's fun. it's fun, yes, absolutely. There's no wrong answers here. What do you guys think? I'm picking on the youthies. What do you think was good about this, that we would do this at the start of training? There's no wrong answer. Yeah? Yes, love that. Initiates conversation. Yes, you at the back. Working together. Working together, love that. Anyone else from this side? Anything? There's enough for everyone. Yeah, love that. All those things are so true and so right. Um, the reason we start with this training, I would say the, the main whole reason of this, is because we start with a mindset shift. Okay, <clears throat> excuse me, we just talked there about that mindset shift that we've seen in Adam and Eve, going from a place of thankfulness and gratitude and look what I have to a place of look what I don't have, look what I'm lacking if I had that. And we start the training with that mindset shift in reverse. Don't get me wrong, in these communities, there are so many things that those people could be saying, I don't have this, I don't have that. But we start at a place of, what do I have? Look at what God has given me. He's given me air in my lungs today. He's given me gifts and talents. He has given me resources in my community. And it's a mindset shift. Not what I don't have, but what God has given me. What God has placed in my hands for the using. It's a mindset shift. And, you know, and that's empowering, isn't it? That's empowering. Instead of thinking from a place of, oh, there's so much I need, and if only I had this. But actually, it's empowering when we think about what we actually have in our hands for the using. But I want to suggest to each one of us today that this activity and that mindset is not just for the communities that we're working with in the Global South. That mindset is for me. It's for you, it's for every single one of us, that mindset shift to go, God, look what you have given me. And you know, last night when I was looking over my notes, I really felt the Lord challenge me in this because I was thinking about, yes, Adam and Eve, and I was thinking about um, the Israelites when God brought them out of Egypt. 
Um, and God frees them from slavery, but yet they're in the wilderness. And it says that they are grumbling to Moses and Aaron. They're grumbling and they're saying, if only you had just let us die in Egypt, because at least in Egypt we had meat pots and now we're out here in the wilderness and we're eating this bread. And you're reading it and you're thinking, are you serious? Look what God has done and given you. And actually I felt the Lord challenge me because there are times in my life, maybe every day actually, (laughs) on its confession time, where I too grumble. Oh God, if I had that. If only I had this, if I had a little bit extra money here, if I could just afford to get my garden done, if I had this, I could reach more people. If I had a bigger house, I could host more life groups in my house and all these things that I grumble in my own heart about. And the Lord challenged me in that because that mindset shift is for each one of us in here. And just before I hand back over to Chris, I'd just love us to take a moment just in our pairs or whoever you're sitting beside. And I want you to just share one thing that you're thankful for today. One thing that God has given you that you are grateful for today. And you don't have to share it after, so don't worry. It can be as personal with the person beside you as you want it to be. But let's just think about that for one moment. And then in a moment, Chris is going to continue to speak. Some people are thankful for chocolate. Let me tell you a little bit about what this looks like uh, in another part of the world, and then we'll sort of circle back to uh, to where we are. Um, earlier this year, I had the privilege of traveling to Chad uh, with um, a few colleagues from Tearfund. I wonder, can you put your hand up if you know where Chad is? Great. I didn't know where it was until I really started looking, so you're, you're a step ahead of me. Uh, this is Chad, so massive country in central North Africa. It's Libya to the north, and you can see the countries that surround it there. It's a massive country. It's about the size of France, Germany, Spain together, uh, or about five, five and a half times the size of the UK. Uh, the top half is desert, the Sahara. The bottom half is the Sahel, which is that sort of buffer, buffer zone between the desert and the green savanna south. Uh, it's dry seasons and wet seasons, um, and it's uh, an amazing country to have visited. Um, there's different ways of measuring this, but Chad is almost always at the bottom five in terms of development indices. So uh, things like um, maternal uh, mortality, things like instability and violence. Uh, one in five children die before they reach the age of five, so 20%. So you can imagine the kids playing out in the field and, and get a sense of the numbers with that dreadful, dreadful stuff. In terms of access to healthcare and education, some of those softer poverty indicators, uh, really, really dreadful. Um, and it's also the front line of changes to climate, uh, one of those broken relationships we have mentioned. Uh, on the left is a picture of Lake Chad, uh, the sixth, in about 50 years ago, the sixth largest body of water in the world, in, inland body of water. Uh, and this is the picture on the right, is its consistent image now, uh, 50 years later. It's shrunk by about 90%. Some of that's about human activity, um, irrigation, damming, redirecting of river, but a large chunk of that is due to a changed climate in that region, and the desert is gradually creeping south. So you can just imagine if you're a land and water in that area, what that would do to the dynamics of communities and, and families and nations. 
I just do that for a little bit of context. Uh, so this is where I travel to um, in March. It's just one step away from desert. It's 40, 45 degrees plus. Um, the capital city is like no place I've ever visited. Um, zero infrastructure. If you drive about 50 miles from it, you're in the full desert, the full sort of sand dunes, um, Indiana Jones desert. Um, and uh, it's, it's really feels like, to me, a little lad from Warringstown, feels like the very edge of the world. Like one more step and you're going to fall off. The most remote place that you could possibly imagine. Doesn't feel like that to the people living there, to be fair. It's their nation, it's their country and their home. But as an outsider coming in, it felt like the most remote place in the world. So we drive about 10 hours from the capital to a town. We drive another two hours from the town uh, into um, uh, sort of brush land, a bit like this. Uh, and we arrive at the village that we were there to see. And I say this for your encouragement, the largest building in the village is the church. So right there on the edge of the world, the most remote place that I can possibly imagine, the Church of Christ is present. And you and I are part of that. Whether you're from Dungannon Vineyard or Central and Belfast or wherever, you and I are part of the Church of Christ. And the Church of Christ is right there, right there on the edge of the world. And so the kingdom is at hand. That's what Christ said would happen, didn't he? The kingdom is at hand. And the Church of Christ is growing. And out there, even in remote Chad, or in persecuted Iran, you listen to that seminar later, or here in Newcastle or Lurgan, wherever you're from, the Church of Christ is thriving, growing, and active. I find that an encouragement, let alone whatever else we might seek to learn or be challenged by. I find this a bit of a shock, but wearing a is not the center of the world. I don't know if you've ever discovered that truth about where you're from. <laughs> uh, and actually, my church isn't the only church. That's another fact that we learn when we get older as well. And in fact, if you think about global Christianity, the average Christian is, is a 20-something African woman. It's not us. Most of us in this room, it's not us. And that's a helpful perspective. So out there, 300-odd miles south of the capital in Chad, hundreds of miles from the nearest tarmac road, the Church of Christ is present. And it's doing the same things the Church of Christ here seeks to do. I know lots of your churches are seeking to do in your communities, loving people in Jesus' name, working for the transformation of the community that's been placed in, loving, serving, helping, supporting those in greatest need on their doorstep, making the church this really important, integral part of the community, equipping ordinary people, you and I, to be agents of change in workplaces and in streets and in homes, seeking, of course, to see people come to know Jesus and experience the kingdom in their own lives. Same thing. Same church, totally different. Looks totally different. Same thing. I hope that's an encouragement. So I visited this little community just um, a little bit down the road from this picture. And I want to tell you the change that they have experienced in about the last eight years. So if you, if you rewind eight years, there were a, a little community living in absolute poverty. Not just the physical stuff we've mentioned, but a lack of community, a, a lack of social identity, a lack of hospitality. Uh, broken relationships between themselves and their neighbor, between the community next door and this community. No access to broader services uh, as, a, as a nation. Um, all the things that you can imagine in a community that's steeped uh, and s trapped in cyclical poverty. I visited this community. I sat under the mango tree in the shade, uh, and I listened to people tell stories of what had changed in the last eight years since Tear Fund and our partner in that area had 
begun this work of change that I'll describe in a little minute. Let me tell you what I saw first, and we'll work back. In the last 10 years, the community had developed a sustainable food supply. So nobody was hungry anymore in that community. So they had simple things like diversified crops. They were doing different things than their parents were doing because the climate had changed. Uh, they had um, got goats and put them in a, like a raised platform, so their droppings gathered into baskets that they used as fertilizer. Uh, they made uh, clay stoves that burned less wood so they didn't have to chop down as much of their nearby forest, which harmed the land. Uh, they built irrigation systems so their crops doubled, tripled, quadrupled in yield. So people weren't going hungry anymore. So in the last eight to 10 years, they had nailed their food security. They were food secure. They had nailed their water supply, their water security, because they had built an, a solar-powered uh, water pump uh, that was responsible for the irrigation of their fields. And they built manual water pumps to, uh, for drinking water in the villages, in the village and surrounding little uh, hamlets. So they nailed their water security. You can't do much if you don't have secure water and secure food. They built a church to replace the just open air space that they were meeting in. They built a school and school classrooms that every child in the community up to, up to the age of 15, you okay? <laughs> up to the age of 15 was being educated. And in fact, in the last four to five years, they'd sent 67 young people to university, including 14 young women which in Africa is just really, really important. Now, I'm standing there. I'm not sure where they would even go to university, speaking honestly. It's so remote. <laughs> and yet here in this little community that only 10 years ago was in grinding poverty and now they're educating every child and the last four or five years had sent 70-odd kids to university in the capital. Those kids have broken the cycle of poverty and they've broken it themselves. Unbelievable. Even more unbelievable, all of the money saved, spent, invested in business, in sustainable business, in livelihoods, in crops, in uh, livestock, building the church, building the school, digging the wells, putting the solar power pump on, all of that was paid for by the community. None of your money, our money collectively from the West, paid for those things. They built the schools, they built the well, they identified gaps in their agricultural knowledge and paid for trainers to come and help them understand more. That's how Tearfront works. We call it CCT because we love little acronyms that sound really good. It stands for Church and Community Transformation. It's that long-term sustainable development. That's our bread and butter, church and community transformation. But really it's just Tearfund supporting the church to fulfill its calling, to seek the transformation of the place that God's placed it in. One of the keys is training, giving a vision for what is possible. But as Jade has said, the real change happens internally in people. So they're not just physically better off. There's a mindset shift that undoes the mindset shift in the garden. You might want to call it a, a transformed mind or a transformed by the renewal of, of the mind from Romans. It's an inner change, a mindset shift. So I, I think about my friend, the husband of this lady, who uh, four years ago was a man relying on the community for support. He lived with a disability. He didn't walk very well at all, uh, and he was dependent on others. He received a little micro-grant of just 10, uh, 10 to 15 pounds sterling. Um, and because of the mindset shift and the training that his pastor and the chief had given him, he invested that well in a female pig. 
And he fast forward a few years, the pigs had piglets, he's bought cows, the cows have had calves, he's bought goats, the goats have had um, kids. Uh, I was going to say goatlets. Um, he said to me in March, he, right now he has 500 pounds worth of, cattle, of livestock. He says, that's not including what I've sold, that's what I have in my hand right now. I don't know the return on investment on that. I'm not an investor. I don't know if you maybe in this room have investments, but that sounds like a good return. 10 to 15 pounds turned into 500 pounds in four to five years. But for me, the most exciting thing about this family, this woman's husband, was that now when he has a female offspring, he gives it away to his neighbor because he wants that neighbor to experience uh, the transformed reality he's, he's enjoying. And so there's a mindset shift in his life, not just now I can be free from poverty. I have an obligation for those around me. I have a, I, he has a healed relationship with, one, with others and not just with himself or with the Lord. And so it's that mindset shift that allows an individual to recognize I'm made in the image of God. I've got God-given gifts and abilities. I've got resources available to me, like a little boy who comes to Jesus with bread and fish. Even if it's just the land that I am standing on, the Lord has given me something that I can use for his glory and for my good. I'm no longer getting my poverty or my circumstances define me because I know who I am. I've got a healed sense of self. I know my place within my community. I have a healed sense of other. I know my obligation to look after my neighbor as I look after myself. That interchange, it's the interchange of the church and that's why the church is absolutely key for any kind of long-term holistic change because it's the inner change, the transformed mind that allows not just release from physical poverty, but release from this, the, the, the deeper reality that the brokenness has led to. But for us here, it's not charity. It's not throwing money into this black hole of aid that we just wonder where it goes. It's helping the church of Christ, the same church of Christ that we were part of, to fulfill its mission and allow people the dignity of lifting themselves out of poverty in a way that lasts. And the church is right at the center of it. A little video for you to watch, it's just one minute long. It's filmed in Burundi, so a different place than Chad, but it describes this process really well. Uh, and, and it describes what possible, what's possible when a local community lifts themselves out of poverty. Take a look. Oh. Crystal hit. Proper tech person, thank goodness for tech people. Make it all go. This is Burundi in Africa. And this is Cecile, who's walking to fetch water for her family. Oh, yeah, Steve. Oh, okay. Well, then what's in the bucket? <clears throat> this is the school that your donations built, brick by... Oh, then who built it? Of course. Your generous donation. Oh, yeah. This is the centre of the community that your donations... No, look, it's not, is it? OK, what did Tia Fund do? Uh-huh. Oh, well, that's much more helpful. Oh, 
That's what we call church and community transformation. Communities lift themselves out of poverty and it works. And it's more effective, if I can speak just honestly, it's more effective than lots of other types of ministry and development because it lasts, because it's not centered on me, the person from Ireland changing other people's lives. It's focused on people in a community, real people. Those are real people in a community in Burundi that have seen their lives changed. And they did all that themselves, just like my friends in Chad that I had the privilege of visiting. Tearfund recently commissioned a little bit of research independently to help us understand the true impact of this. Sometimes it's hard in ministry to, to measure impact well. Um, here's what we find. For every one pound of money invested, that's essentially one pound given from somewhere like Northern Ireland, is transformed into seven pounds of local community resource. So my friends in Chad mobilized their own resources to build a solar-powered well or to build a school. And it is translated into 211 pounds of social value. So that's a recognized international development term for putting a monetary value in the whole, the holistic change that a community has enjoyed in terms of sense of well-being, community relations, peace building, a sense of hopefulness for the future, all the things that go on to indicate a good life. Uh, including the spiritual change. One pound turned into 211 pounds of community benefit. Chris, you can work at the ROI, the return on investment of that as well. So it works because it's multiplied and it's not just money that disappears. What about the church in all this? Before we wrap up and think about what it means for us here, what about the church in Chad or in Burundi or, or anywhere else? When I was there, I asked the pastor, I asked our partner, what happens to the church here? What about the health of the church? What about the spiritual landscape? What about those attending, going deeper, lives transformed in the name of Jesus? This lady is Rebecca. She is the director of our partner in the southern part of Chad. And I asked her, what happens to the church? I've seen the community. I've seen what happens to the kids. I've seen what happens to long-term change. What happens, to the what happens to the church? She said this, this model, this model of transformation I've described, is the best tool for evangelism that I know. It allows the church to hold together proclamation and demonstration, preaching and action, word and deed. And it sees communities transformed and it draws people to the church and to Christ. If you want a better, I haven't seen a better um, definition of the, the work of the church in any community. And if you're involved in any kind of community ministry, you'll know that that real practical help draws people to Christ when it's done in the name and power and, and movement of God's Spirit uh, in us and through us. We long for the church to thrive here, don't we? We long for communities to be transformed like my community I visited in Chad or that community you saw on the screen. And of course, we long to see people's lives changed as they come to know Jesus too. Everyone believes that church is God's chosen vessel for transformation, not just here, but right across the world. Andy Gibson this morning was talking about the gap and, and having the humility as a church to have eyes to see the gap and to step into that. And straight away I thought, absolutely. And the global church is doing that already with real humility because they, it's not the rich church serving their poor neighbor. Church and community are one, all poor, all together lifting themselves out of poverty humbly recognizing the gap. Let me briefly suggest like a personal, a local and a global uh, maybe response for us and then we've maybe got five or 10 minutes or longer for questions um, if we'd like that. We talked about personally how 
those broken relationships might help you pray. Broken relationship with God, broken relationship with self, broken relationship with others, broken relationship with creation. Maybe when you go home or even you go out and you open up your news app, look with that lens at the news that you see. Look, at, look with that lens at the submarine and the um, refugee boat and understand the thing that's at play there. And when you look at what's happening in Russia over this weekend, what might that do to our prayer life if we start to pray for healing of those relationships at the deeper level? Tear Fund has a resource called Tear Fund Learn, where if you want to, if you're sort of theologically minded and you want to read a bit more about what that theology might mean and do for us, then just Google Tear Fund Learn, Theology of Poverty or whatever, and you'll get a whole load of resources. It's an absolute treasure trove of understanding that. Locally, we'd love you just to think about a ministry in your church that's outward focused. Even just now, picture one in the head, maybe you're involved in it. Compassion projects, uh, outreach project of some kind. I'd love you to, to do a little bit of an audit. Not now, but just maybe and you're in your tenth night. To what extent does that ministry give agency to the people that you're serving? To what extent are you doing it with people or to people? I say this with great respect because there's some wonderful ministries. And Chris and I have spoken today about some of, some of the really good things that are happening. Wonder is your ministry addressing broken relationships or just scratching the surface of those things? Is it addressing the systems that keep people in poverty or is it meeting a very urgent need? And it can do both. I wonder if we might think about that. We've so much to learn from our brothers and sisters in the global church. And if you're a church leader here today or you're involved in church leadership, Tier Fund is able to facilitate connections with our brothers and sisters in the global church. Uh, and that's a really fruitful thing we find to actually shape uh, and change our mission here at home. Uh, it's not that they have all the answers, but actually together we shape and sharpen one another. So chat to me afterwards if you'd be interested in something like that. And then globally, let's celebrate. I hope you leave encouraged. It's easy to not be encouraged when we think about issues of global justice and poverty. But I hope you feel encouraged that you are part of the Church of Christ. And not just here, but elsewhere, the Church of Christ is alive and well. Christ said the kingdom of God is at hand and the gates of hell. I'm not going to prevail against it. We long, don't we, for the renewal and restoration of all things. That's what we long for in this land across Ireland, the renewal of this land. You know, that's what you're praying for here, don't you? That's what we're praying for across the world, and it's the same mission. It's a joy to be a part of that, and I hope that gives you a little bit of um, encouragement. Let me finish with just a little passage of Scripture, if I can. Maybe I'll, I'll close your eyes and just allow this maybe to be a prophetic prayer for our land. You have a particular place in this land that's on your heart, but maybe a particular place across the world that's on your heart too. If you're not sure, go for Chad that I've mentioned, or Ukraine or any other place. I'm going to read Ezekiel 47, just a couple of verses, um, possibly familiar verses to you, as the river flows out from the temple and, and it brings restoration. So close your eyes, make this a prayer for our land, make it a prayer for the global church, make it a prayer for your own life and those in your life that need healed relationships. It's on the screen if you want to follow, but if you don't, just let me read it. The man brought me back to the entrance to the temple, and I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He brought me to the north gate, led me around the outside to the gate facing east. 
and the water was trickling. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. And he asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. The man said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, life flourishes. Fishermen will stand along the shore, shoulder to shoulder, from Engedi to Enenglem. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not be fresh. They will be left salty. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor where their fruit fall. Every month they will bear fruit, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them, and their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Let me just pray briefly. Lord, we pray those verses over our land and our world. Holy Spirit, flow from your temple. And where you flow, bring healing, shoulder to shoulder, healing relationships. Heal the land that's been ravaged, Lord. Heal your church. And we, we, we long for your kingdom to come. We long for the renewal and restoration of all things in and through the name and power of Christ Jesus. Amen. Chris, do you want to do, it's one minute past, so you're free to go. Um, yeah, it would be good if, um, oh, if anybody has any questions. Um, I think what's really helpful about what Tier Fund do is it, it both helps us think about missions um, across the world and how we do that more effectively and how we support the work of Tier Fund, which is fantastic and best practice. But also, increasingly, when we look at our own communities, we realize that the solutions that, um, that we have or the way that we approach working in our own communities could probably do with a lot more of what we've seen on the screen. Um, there's a lady called Rosabeth Moss Kander, who's an American sociologist, and she said that when people have change done onto them, they experience it as violence. When people do change for themselves, they experience it as liberation. And, and, I, and that, I find that quite painful because I know I'm complicit in helping other people from a position of power. Um, but I think that if we truly want to see our communities liberated, we need to figure out how to do more of what we saw on the screen and heard today. But does anybody have any questions for, for Chris or for Jade? Nope. I, I have Great. questions for you. So what I would love to, to know is, or is what... How do we actually start to think about what we do as a church in terms of how we impact our local community? How can we learn from some of the experiences of Tier Fund 
um, about our approach to some of the problems that we see. There seems to be endless problems in our community, so how do we start addressing them? Great question. Um, I think if you're a reader, there's a couple of simple things you can do, like Google Tier Fund Learn and just start to access some resources. Chris and I have shared about 10 of our favorite books on the subject <laughs> before this seminar, uh, so you can definitely read. Um, I think prayer is a place to start, but praying in, informedly uh, of what's really going on. And again, I find the, that sense of the, that theology of, of brokenness to be quite helpful in that. Um, but in terms of the actual practice, um, you have to learn from others. We, it's, it's so alien to us, that idea of, of change being violence, if it's done onto someone, is so contrary to how we understand help and, and compassion, because we're absolutely seeped in really good, well, very, very well-intentioned ministries that help others from arm's length. And we actually need to re-educate ourselves on that. Uh, and that starts by speaking with others. Tearfront can be part of that mix. Um, often we connect church leaders with uh, church leaders or Tearfront staff in other parts of the world to, to do a little bit of re-education as a starting point. Uh, and then closing the gap after you've done a little bit of that, closing the gap between yourself and those you help is absolutely key. Otherwise, you're never, you're never going to be able to help to change with someone to allow somebody to lift themselves out of poverty if, if there's a distance between you and them because the power imbalance is always one way. Uh, and that's a really big question for, like my church, a middle-class middle church that would find it very hard to, be, to do cross-cultural mission with those on our doorstep who are actually quite different than we are. Never mind um, somebody across the world. So there's a whole lot of education has to happen, I think, Chris. Yep. Um, okay. And so how do we start to journey with ourselves around some of that stuff? Because it feels like, so just so if anybody doesn't know, I, I've run a food bank for the last 10 years and, and we do stuff because we see a need and we think, let's, let's meet that need. Um, how do we journey with ourselves around, around that where actually part of us likes to be the meter of need? Yeah. Um, one of the foundational books I read in this was a book called When Helping Hurts, which uh, is basically a key text in some of this theology and thinking. The violence of change done onto somebody doesn't just harm them, it actually harms me, the doer, because it, it envelops me in a godlike position, and that is, a, um, that is evil to my soul <laughs> because it doesn't do me good. Um, so we, um, we have to... We have to go beneath the surface, Chris. Again, the broken relationships about what we see, but also what starts in our hearts and recognize that if we continue to do things where we feel good at arm's length, we're not only harming those and imprisoning those and doing less effective ministry, but we're also damaging our own spirits. And that is a poison in the church, actually, because it, it doesn't go away. Yeah, super, super. And, and I think for, for me, I think that, that we, we, we do stuff um, and we build a relationship and, and we start to, to connect. But um, when we're helping people, as in what I, what I call community aid, so we're handing out help all of the time and that power relationship exists, one of the things that doesn't exist is true friendship, true community, true relationship. And the greatest thing that we can do is to, to start building more healthy communities, 
not just as a church, because sometimes we can be so busy building church and church community that we don't build, we don't reach out and build in our own community relationships um, where we, we are, we're equals. Uh, and to do that, we need to trust. And to do that, we need to be okay. If I could reflect on, on even my own journey at a church, sometimes because we believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, that we believe that we are the holders of truth exclusively and therefore don't really want to give away as much relationally. Um, and people, people get that, you know, that, that you're a Christian and you want, you, you want people you're trying to help, you want to be part of the church because you want them to educate them and get them saved. And that, that evangelistic thing is, is kind of true. But actually, if we, if we approach people in the wrong way, we don't build true, authentic community. And if we're going to see people helping themselves, help, we're going to help them to help themselves. We need to figure out how to build community again. And uh, we were chatting earlier about how the, our welfare system, which is designed to help people and does have a role in our society, but it works on, on the basis of the individual. It supports the individual. And the guy that designed the entire welfare system, Lord Beveridge, in his third report, he said, we've forgotten something. When they designed it in the 1940s, he said, we've forgotten the power of community to help itself. And we live with the unintended consequences of the welfare system that quite often when we see need in our own community or in our street or in our neighborhood, we think, why isn't the government doing something about that? But guess what? Our government can no longer fix the problems in our society. Every time you see something in the news, you realize our government doesn't have any solutions. It doesn't have any ideas. And I love that because I think there's a great opportunity to figure out why don't we just do things differently? Why don't we try and help each other? Why don't we build healthy communities that look after each other? Why don't we go and see places and things being done in Africa and go, there's best practice? Could we be humble enough as a church to recognize that in our kind of white Western middle-class mind, that actually we could learn a lot from what's going on around the world about how healthy communities are, are built. And I think it's something that Tierfund really brings to us very, very well. But uh, you know, we need to open up these discussions with each other and be humble enough to kind of go, maybe there's a better way uh, of doing things. So any any questions before we finish? Or if Probably you stop us now before we keep going. The chat Chris. afterwards. <laughs> um, okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence, Lord. We thank you for um, just that sense of that, that when Jesus came, that we had the opportunity again to be at peace with God, at peace with ourselves, at peace relationally with those around us and at peace with this earth, that the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Lord, we thank you that you are moving and I pray that, that we would be people, carriers of peace into our communities. That would be churches where the shalom peace of God reigns and rules. And in that place of being like Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace, but as we learned this morning, was also a humble servant, maybe humbly serve our communities and reach out with your grace and your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Give Chris and Jade a big round of applause there.